And, and God exalts his word above his own name, he says. So why would it not, for a Christian, be our guidebook for how we should live, how we should think, how we should do science? It should be through the lens of his word because it has forever been settled. This is Changing the Narrative. I'm your host, David Reeves. We are changing the narrative one day at a time. We have been spoon-fed a narrative of atheism. We have been spoon-fed a narrative from our media. We have been spoon-fed a narrative in children's books. And usually that narrative is not the truth. Well, we're changing the narrative every day on this podcast. And today I've got uh, a, a good friend with me, Micah Bowman. Uh, he is in visiting. Micah, welcome to the program. Thank you. Appreciate it. It is great to have you here. I'm glad to be here. How much notice did you have on this? Um, no notice. <laughs> <laughs> I give you 15 minutes. Notice. Okay, maybe 15 minutes. <laughs> That's what's so exciting about this is we're here in the Wonder Center. <clears throat> just outside of Nashville, Tennessee, uh, which is very soon, by the time this airs, it, it will be open, I believe. Uh, and where we're at is in the middle of this massive science museum, right? In a production facility with television studios and audio production facilities and post-production and, and all of that. But we're surrounded with all of this science, right? But it's all science that supports the biblical worldview. Yep. It's all science that is pointing us right back to God's design. Mm -hmm. And what I love about you is whether it's been in the Animals of Alaska documentaries uh, that we've worked together on or uh, if you're teaching a biology class or whatever, you incorporate those elements of God's design right. instead of talking about, wow, look at what time and chance has accomplished. Yeah, I mean, it just makes sense when you look at the world around us that there's no way time and chance could have brought about literally anything. Yeah. Go down to the cellular level, go down to the molecular level, there's there's no way that's just going to come about by random chance over billions of years. It, it goes against all principles of science that we know, right? Right. In other words, what we're, do, what we're saying is that in order to accept a Darwinian evolutionist standpoint, you have to create a supernatural component. Yeah. Okay. And that's which goes against Darwinian evolution. <laughs> exactly. If it's all naturalism, and yet you have to have a supernatural driving component to create the first instance of life, then you're not really moving towards naturalism. You're replacing God with your own God. Right. Exactly. And that's. I mean, you, you look at the start of the universe. Yeah. You can ask a lot of evolutionists, how did the Big Bang start? Yes. Where did that infinitesimal point of energy come from? <laughs> They're like, well. I don't know, maybe there was another life form that seeded it, or who knows. And then the, um, then the response, the follow-up is... Yeah, where'd well, that come from? You can always keep going back. Uh-huh. To that, to that pivotal moment at the very beginning where even if it was alien life that seeded it on this planet, uh, where did those aliens come from? Where did this yeah. come from? Where did this... Uh, it all boils back to spontaneous generation. Correct. Okay. And spontaneous generation is this idea that everything just, you know, somehow inorganic materials turned to organic, became life, and there's no known scientific mechanism to make that happen. Right. Right. So it's supernatural. But when we talk about inorganic, organic, and biology, tell me a little bit about your history, your background. Okay. So biology, I love animals. Yeah. 
probably when I was in junior high, we moved out to a place in the, uh, had 26 acres of woods around us. And so just lots of animals and that really drove my passion for animals. And um, I got interested in creation science when my dad gave me a, a book to read okay. called The Evolution of a Creationist by Dr. Joe Martin, one of our friends. <laughs> yes. And he gave it to me and said, hey, I want you to read this book. I was a high schooler. I didn't really like reading at that time, so I didn't read it. About a month later, he asked me if I had read it. I said, no. He said, I want you to read it. It got to the point where he's offered me $10 to read it, and money speaks to teenagers. So I was like, okay, I'll read it. And that book has completely changed my trajectory, because in that book, he talked about the design of all these animals, which was my passion, and just showed how animals defy evolution, how it breaks uh, breaks down anything that evolution could say about long, slow, gradual processes bringing about, how would we have a functional giraffe? How would we have right. a functional blue whale? How would any of these creatures be alive today if small successive changes brought them about? Yeah. And so after reading that book, that really just, okay, creation science, I know that's something that God wants me to do. Uh, so I did biology as my undergrad, got a master's in biology, uh, started teaching at Pensacola Christian College, taught there for 10 years. Wow. And currently I am at Baylor University working on my PhD. Got two wow. years under my belt, hopefully two years left. What what field? What, uh, it's actually know? environmental science. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that's going to get me a PhD from an R1 institution. So that'll look Beautiful. really good. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, just being able to have, have these animals that God created them for our pleasure. He created them for us to be able to enjoy. But I think the main reason he created them for us was so that we could study them and learn about them yeah. to give him glory, to, to just stand in awe of him as the creator. That's right. And it's unfortunate that, unfortunate that evolutionists, as they look at these same creatures, they're blinded by their worldview. Yeah. They can't accept something supernatural. And so they have to just say, this came about by chance, right. which means we came about by chance. Charles Spurgeon, he <clears throat> was known as the Prince of Preachers, mm -hmm. really brilliant man. But but he said, uh, you know, these people proposing evolution don't care so much for the theories of evolution themselves, but only so far as it may serve their purpose of escaping from the thought of God, right? Yeah. And so it's this it's this attempt to explain everything naturally, so that you're not held accountable by someone with more authority than you are. Right. And that's so unfortunate, but it happens all the time in the world of science and the world of biology. But here's what I found. Most of the time, these up and coming professors, which they're teaching, you know, biological evolution or uh, deep time in geology or, or whatever it might be, right? It's actually, it comes from their professors. And their professors, they picked it up from their professors. Right. And they don't really know exactly why they believe it. They just know that this is what they're supposed to yeah. believe. So it's a belief system with blind faith that they're adhering to and teaching the next generation. And I think that's one of, that's been extremely damaging because that goes against science, right? Exactly. Real science should be yeah. experimental, observable, repeatable, empirical, something that we're driving to, something that we're not trying to simply fit in mm -hmm. our interpretations, but that we're open to exploring other possibilities. That's right. And I mean, you look 
back in the past history of science, there have been lots of paradigm shifts where one thing was believed because that's what everyone believed. That's right. And then as science did what science does, it turns out, hey, this is wrong. Here is what's right. And guess what? Every time that lines up with what scripture says. That's true. So if we would just go back to the word of God and look at what it says, yeah, no, it's not a science textbook. But it's truth, absolute truth. So anything that it says is something we can hold to and believe. And something that I always told my students was, if it's not clearly laid out in scripture, don't be dogmatic about it. Uh, If it is, you can be dogmatic because you know God is telling us the truth. We can believe it. You can stand on that every time, 100% of the time. But I love the way you say that. If it's not in Scripture, you can't be dogmatic about it. You have to be open to where every where all of the new research is heading. Right. Uh, I mean, when I when I think that, I think you know, in biology, Charles Darwin is looking through primitive microscopes. He sees a cell and he sees a bag of enzymes. He's like, it's a simple little bag of enzymes. It's a bag of meat, right? Mm-hmm. No, it's a city more complex yes. than you can ever imagine, right? Yeah. Well, once technology progressed to the point where we were able to see some of these microscopic components, some of these, you know, down to the atomic level in in many cases, uh, we realized, wow, it's so complex that we had no idea. And yet the prevailing theories of the origin of that, that substance remained, right? In other words, we were like, Oh, well, it's much more complex than we understood before. But the prevailing idea of Darwinian evolution remained. It wasn't like they revised the theory to then say, well, no, this couldn't have happened by mere accidental mutations and and time, right? Maybe we need to completely revise. They just kind of threw that on top of there and said, wow, time and chance can accomplish quite a lot, can it? Yeah, man. (laughs) Natural selection gives the appearance of design, doesn't it? <laughs> right. That's exactly what Darwin said about the human eye. Yes. It's like, I, it's it's hard to fathom that a human eye could come about from small successive changes. Yeah. But natural selection can do that. But natural selection, and and you know a lot of a lot of skeptics uh, accuse us of quote mining when we quote that mm-hmm. passage, right? They're, they're going to be you're cherry picking that passage, right? Uh, which to some extent is true. It doesn't help though, because yes. Darwin does go on to explain that he thinks it was the process of natural exactly. selection. Yeah. It takes him an entire chapter <laughs> to try to show how he thinks, yeah, well, it's amazing to think that the eye could come about by natural processes. But let me spend a chapter here trying to manipulate all of the data and say, well, if this happened, then this might have happened. And right. He goes on to create this elaborate theory that is a failing theory. This is something that is now 150, 200 years old. Yeah. It's time we start rethinking these things. It, yeah. It's time we stop pushing this on a generation of young upcoming scientists uh, who many of them know better, who many of them see through this, mm-hmm. right? Exactly. And yet the professors in these secular universities are still pushing those theories, but they're dying theories. Why yeah. is that? Why is that? I, th- I think it goes back to what you said about just if if that if that means evolution's not true, yeah. then the only other option is there is a creator. Right. And if there is a creator, then we are in subjection to our creator. <laughs> he has a list of rules mm-hmm. we're supposed to follow. He has a list of do's and don'ts. Yeah. And so and it's pretty simple too. Yeah. It's pretty simple, and it yet is. we still can't stand 
we want that control. Yeah. It's humanism. It is. Man's in control. And secular humanism is pervading the scientific community right now. Yeah. Uh, but not when it comes to Micah Bowman. That's correct. <laughs> uh, when you walked in, I was like, oh, we got to talk about that T-shirt. What do, what, what do I see up there? What okay, does it say? so it says, I like snakes, uh-huh. which incredibly true. Yes. The bottom part, not so much true. It says, and maybe like three people. <laughs> I have a wife and four kids, so I have to like more than three people. <laughs> um, but yeah, I do really love snakes. Yeah. I, I know a lot of Christians look at snakes and they're like, oh man, snakes, those are cursed. Yeah. Well, God cursed the woman in the garden. That's right. God cursed the man in the garden. So And all of creation groans. And all of creation is cursed. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting like someone has to love snakes. Someone has to study them because they are one of God's creatures Mm -hmm. and something that I didn't really actually recognize until, I don't know, four, three, four years ago. First number one of chapter three of Genesis. Mm -hmm. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. So Mm. he was listed as a beast of the field. We often think of him as like a a, a, snake. We think of it as a snake. It's a creeping thing. But the original serpent, the one that tempted Eve was actually listed as a beast of the field to me implies potentially legs yeah and and so this whole change when god curses the serpent and says on thy belly thou shalt go what's the change that took place maybe he removed the legs Uh perhaps at that point he changed the genes to um to um turn off the Uh the production of the actual legs Uh uh-huh so the genetic information might still be there Oh, I don't know that for sure. Yeah. It's something interesting to explore, that, to, to look into. That genetic information might be there. It just mm-hmm. might be condensed to where it can't be unpacked and actually used to code proteins. That's another PhD waiting to happen right yeah, there. Yeah, I think so. I, that's a good research project. <laughs> um, and so he changed the genes at that point. So all of these serpent from here on out would be slithering on their bellies. Wow. Okay. That's so something you, to think about. I don't know if that's no. true, but it's an interesting avenue of Hey, we're, we're not saying anything. That's, I, I think it's a great area to pursue. Yeah. I think... I love that. I love that. And that's what that's what good science is all about. Right. Let's, let's look at all of the options. But if we start from a biblical perspective, what's neat is we always have the, the high ground. Mm-hmm. Not just the moral high ground, but we, we have the high ground when it comes to truth. Right. Because there is such a thing as absolute truth. And we know that the Bible has stood the test of time. So if you start from there... And then say, what could we explore? And if the Bible is correct, then this is what we should find. Well, every time that's what we're finding. Right. right? Yeah. Uh, that, that sums up what creation science is. It does. It's using the word of God and then testing what we believe from the word of God in the yes. scientific method. And you can make predictions mm-hmm. and, though, and you can do real science uh, based off of that. In fact, I have friends and colleagues who... Um, have made careers out of making predictions on uh, biblical models and then going in and eventually they're vindicated yeah. right uh, sometimes sometimes they lose their jobs though which is which Unfortunate. is fortunate yeah yeah okay let's talk just for a moment about uh, let's continue this conversation about snakes because okay. you told me something just before we hit roll on the cameras um, you have a number snakes yes i am a ball pythons so python regis is the the name of it scientific Uh name Uh i think currently i have 16 (laughs) and i've got two clutches that are in the process of hatching here i think actually tomorrow is the 60 day mark for one of the clutches so really might hatch tomorrow 
Um, so I, I love them. Yeah. They're, 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 they're snakes, which is the main reason I love them, but yeah. just the genetic mutations that they have that change their colors, they change their patterns. Yeah. It's a neat way I've actually used a, a wild type, the normal ball python, what you would find when you, you go and find it in the wild, yeah. and a pie ball, pied ball python, pied ball python which yeah. is completely different in colors, Beautiful. and it has large patches of just white where yeah. there's no pattern, there's no color, mm -hmm. um, to, to teach like genetics and to teach, okay, these are the same organism, uh -huh. but which one's going to survive in, in the wild? Right. This one, because it's going to blend in better. It's got better that white patch is definitely going to stand out. Yeah. So natural selection would select for the wild type uh, because it's, it's, it's not standing out. Anything that, if these mutations happen in the wild, that's yeah. where a lot of these genetic mutations come from, not just from artificial selection. Right. Um, and so they're captured in the wild. Oh, here's a genetic mutation. They come back. They start breeding it out, producing more of them. That's kind of how the, the ball python trade works. And, um, but you think if that snake was left in the wild. Yeah, it's not gonna do it. Eventually, it's, it's gonna get eaten if it has these bright white. It's gonna uh -huh. stand out. Cause it's nature is to hide in the leaves or yes. hide here where typically the normal coloration would be perfect. Yeah. But it's not gonna be. So even with, with snakes and mutations, you can teach important lessons in biology, yeah. and those lessons all point back to a biblical worldview. Because, again, we've been spoon-fed this narrative of naturalism, mm -hmm. and what we see in nature is that mutations, although not all are harmful, there are very few truly beneficial mutations. Right. Um, and every mutation is actually changing the genetic mutation or changing the genes. The genes. So it may not be harmful, but there is a actual loss of information. A lasting effect mm -hmm. on future generations, exactly. which will add up over time. Yeah. Okay. Now, some of this, if you're, if it's bred properly, uh, you know, you can reduce the amount of loss, but at the same time, over time. If millions of years pass, there would be so many genetic mutations that it would cripple any yeah. given species, including us. Yes. Right. Yeah. So if we've been around for, you know, in our current state for hundreds of thousands, a few million years, then we should be so highly mutated right now that we should not be having this conversation. Yeah. And yet here we are as intellectual beings able to philosophize about the origin of life right here and let other people join in on the conversation you don't see that happening with an ape you don't right. see that happening with a pied ball python you don't see that happening with uh any other creature it's almost like we were created in the image of god yeah exactly we definitely are um so, and another interesting thing about the genes, like that genetic burden that's always passed on, we have mutations from our ancestors. Yeah. So from our parents, our grandparents, et cetera, all the mutations that they, they gained yeah. during their um, development process, we have. Yeah. And then we have our own mutations that we pass on to our kids. Mm -hmm. So your kids are a little bit stranger than you because <laughs> there's mutations. <laughs> um, so, but that also gives credence to the biblical worldview because yeah. if we go back in time there was a time where there were no genetic mutations that's right so that question where did cain get his wife uh-huh well okay that wasn't an issue at the time because there was no moral law against it right that was before the levitical law that god gave yep. but also there wasn't a genetic problem with it oh that's yeah. why we don't marry our close relatives now because we have the same genetic 
very similar genetic makeup where if I have a mutation, yeah. it's very likely they have a mutation. And in double dose, that's where it actually is affecting the organism. Okay. And so you see that in a lot of groups that are inbred. There's certain traits, certain diseases that are prevalent because yep. they were related and they had the same mutation and it got the double dose, um, one from each parent. So when you go back, there, there wouldn't have been this genetic load because there was the curse just recently it happened. Right. And that's when genetic mutations started yeah. to pile up in mm -hmm. the genome. Right. Yep. And so that's where we see where things that are uh, highly inbred, something like cheetahs or uh, even German shepherds have these genetic problems mm -hmm. because of how, how artificially selected yeah. they've been. Right. And so that makes perfect sense. But back in the time of Cain, that wouldn't have been a big issue. It right. wouldn't have been a big Okay. And then the Lord, in his infinite wisdom, at the appropriate time, he's like, okay, well, now, because of the flood, because of the bottleneck of the people on the ark, because of all of this, mm -hmm. now there's a much higher chance that these gen genetics mutations are going to pile up if you marry close relatives yeah. and they have children, right? And he's like, so don't marry your close kin. I mean, it makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. Now... But people back a thousand, few thousand years ago would not have fully understood this process. Right. And yet it's written in the Bible. And the Bible is written by men. And the Bible is a collection of ancient goat herders' writings. <laughs> but at the same time, the Word of God also <laughs> says, Forever, O Lord, thy word has been settled in heaven. Yes. So his word was in heaven. Oh, it wasn't wow. published to man at yes. that point, but it has been forever written. I love that. I and love and that. God exalts his word above his own name, right. he says. So why would we not use the word of God as our ultimate source of truth? Yeah. Why would it not, for a Christian, be our guidebook for how we should live, how we should think, yeah. how we should do science? Yeah. It should be through the lens of his word because it has forever, forever been, settled been settled in heaven. And he knew it all from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. He knew exactly the progression even through all the messed up points. Yeah. And that's the reason in that whole trajectory, he was like, yeah, but I'm sending the savior. Yeah. He's like, yeah, it may be messed up, but I'm going to give you all the ability to restore that relationship with me for all of eternity. Mm -hmm. And that's through Jesus. Yeah. And it's, it's an amazing thing to think that one day when there's the new heaven and new earth, it's going to be back to like it was yeah. at the garden of Eden, completely <laughs> perfect. Everything is going to be restored to its former state, except for one thing, mm -hmm. at least in the millennial reign. Uh -huh. The serpent is still going to be eating dust like it, the, the Isaiah passage where the lion lie with the lamb. Yeah. Uh, it says the serpent is going to eat dust. So his mode of movement will have not changed. He still will be slithering on his belly. Now that's which interesting. It's interesting because you think that. about that's going to make us yeah. every time we see a snake which aren't going to be harmful at that time right. but every time we see one of them we're going to be like that's what caused all the demise and everything we just went through yeah and it's going to be a great reminder of what jesus did for us when he crushed the head of the serpent at calvary wow it's just a, a, an amazing thought to me it i don't is. know if that carries on into the new heaven and new earth but at least for the millennial reign because that's what that passage in isaiah is, yeah. is discussing yeah yeah He's not going to have his mode of, mode of movement changed. Interesting. I've never thought about that. Yeah. I've I love it. I love it. Tell, okay, tell me. We only have a couple of minutes left. Tell me about um, animals of Alaska. Um, 
we work together mm-hmm. with Dr. Martin, with, uh, with Dr. Jim Johnson, with uh, Dr. David Shoreman, with Buddy Davis, uh, Buddy Davis a dear friend. Um, uh, so impactful, a three video series called God's Living Treasures. Um, we go through animals of Alaska and you specifically talked about several animals in detail. Mm-hmm. Tell me about just one of those. I think my favorite's the red fox. Okay. I think it's also the kids' favorite whenever they watch it because yeah. they get to see the fox jumping and, and yes. going into the snow. If you've never seen it, it's definitely something you need to <laughs> need to watch. Um, because those foxes are using Earth's magnetic field, which there's a lot of animals God made that can use the magnetic field of Earth. Mm-hmm. And I think of that as human. I can't fathom that. Like if you spun me around in a circle and said, okay, point to magnetic north. Right. I would just have to get lucky if I was going to actually guess the right direction. And yet these creatures can can sense magnetic field. They Birds do it for migration. Yeah. Salmon do it for trying to get back to their uh, current stream before they start picking up the scent particles to find what their parent stream is. Mm-hmm. And But the fox is not just using or sensing it. It's actually using it for hunting. Wow. So he, he cocks his head. He's got two different distances for the sound. His brain is able to kind of triangulate just like our eyes with de- uh, the, what is that uh, called? Parallax. Yes. Yeah. Um, so we're able to kind of focus a little bit better. Yeah. And he can do that with his ears, but then he also is able to sense Earth's magnetic field. So when he's lining up with the magnetic North Pole, mm-hmm. I think he was 81% successful with the pouncing attempts completely the opposite direction, still in line, just facing the other way, Mm -hmm. 60-something percent successful. Any other direction, he was only 18%. So when he was lined up with the magnetic field, what scientists figured out is like he's using that kind of as a a range finder to know how far away he needs to be before he begins his pouncing attempt. Yeah. And if he's the right distance and he's got that triangulation with his ears, Mm -hmm. he's going to be successful 80-something percent of the time. It's... Like, I can't fathom that. And yet this creature that's just trying to survive yeah. during harsh winters, yeah. eating things that are under the snow. God God's has given, given him, him that ability. Exactly what he needs. Exactly what he needs. We yeah. don't typically need that, but he needs that yeah. in order to fulfill his function that the Lord has given him. And so he has this, this superpower. Yeah. <laughs> and again, a lot of times we say, well, somehow... This just happened. It didn't just happen. I know, again, our good friend, Dr. Job Martin, um, he points out, he's like, can't we use that in our life? If we're lined up spiritually mm-hmm. with what the Bible says, with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, right? If if we've got that magnetic north right, how much more successful will we be in life? And that's one of the things I really appreciate with what you're doing, Micah. You're, you're bringing this to the next generation. Um, I mean, we, we're trying to impact mm-hmm. the next generation with the truth right. of God's word, with the truth of his creation, with the reality of all of that, and share the gospel. And, and you're doing that. I, I just really appreciate you being here, spending a little bit of time with us. And uh, you know what? We need to jump over in the TV studio next time you're here, and let's, uh, let's film a few programs together. Okay. Have to bring some snakes. <laughs> I would love that. I would love it. You know, we already have live geckos in, on display in yeah. the Wonders of Zoology, but uh, yeah, I think some snakes would look good on that. I think it would. Kids would love it too. <laughs> thank you so much, Mike. Appreciate it. Yeah. And thank you for watching, uh, and we will be back next time. This is Changing the Narrative. I'm your host, David Reeves. Remember, until next time, to keep looking up, because truly, the heavens declare the glory of God.
find us on all social platforms to stay informed. 